shocked as we all are. Several years ago, the church decided we never wanted to miss a Super Bowl, so we changed our service time to 1 o'clock in the afternoon for this moment. Uh, no, <clears throat> I'm kidding, of course, but uh, it's an exciting day for the locals, uh, and uh, it's, it's funny, my dad, my dad lives just north of Dayton, and he said, it's amazing how much Bengals stuff I'm seeing now that I haven't seen in the years that we've lived here. And uh, everybody's got a jacket, everybody's got a hat. Um, the, the road signs, he said this week, said, rule the jungle, not the left lane. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, <laughs> of excitement uh, up there. And of course, in our area too, same thing. I see people walking every day in Bengals gear and hadn't seen it before. And um, but uh, it's fun. It's fun when, when the locals are happy, I've always said, and uh, Kentucky's playing much better this year uh, compared to last year especially, and so people are happy about that. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. People are happy about that, and uh, Bible Pathway Baptist Church is here. People are happy about that, so it all works out. Um, thank you for coming today. I'll say it again. I appreciate it. We've had, uh, we invited several to come today that weren't able to make it uh, for whatever reason, but I'm glad that you're here. And excited about what the Lord has for us today. We're going to look today in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to look at the, the, the thought here of Christ loving the church. And in Ephesians 5, it's a great chapter. Uh, it, it's, it, it gives the roles of the home. Uh, in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, it talks about uh, the wife and the husband. And in Ephesians 6, the children. Um, and, uh, and, and it talks about the church and it talks about all kinds of things. But there's so much good things in here. I, we're not preaching on the home today, but um, you know, I tell people, if you want a marriage that works, here's, here's the blueprint. It's right here for you in Ephesians 5. And if you do what it says, I promise your marriage will work. Now, again, it's a two-way street, right? The wife has to do what the Bible says, and the husband has to do what the Bible says, and that makes a perfect marriage. Um, if the wife does what the Bible says and the husband does not, they're still going to be strained within the marriage, but the wife will be uh, more blessed uh, and, and more happy than the husband, and, and vice versa as well. But uh, it's, it's all right here. It's one of those things that I, every time I get, I get into Ephesians 5, I think, man, it's amazing how simple it is um, to have a perfect marriage. Uh, and uh, it's right there for us. But we're not talking about marriage today. We're talking about the church. And look in verse 25 is where we'll start. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. And then it gives an example. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it might be, uh, excuse me, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I've got three points today to look at in regards to the fact that Christ loves the church. And we'll see the examples that God gives us. We're going to look at some other passages uh, today as well. Um, but I think it's important for us, if we're going to be a part of the church, if we're going to be uh, investing in the church, we need to understand why it's so important that we do so. And, uh, you know, alongside of the fact that Christ tells us uh, to, to, to be in church and that Christ tells us to uh, be a part of what he created, um, it's, it's important to even go further back than that to the fact that how much Christ loves the church. And today I hope to be able uh, to prove that to you through Scripture. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look in your word, and I pray that you would... Um, <clears throat> Give us something fresh today. Some of this will be, uh, maybe even much of this will be things that we've heard before. 
But God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you'd have for us today. I pray that you'd help me as I present it, that it would be clear and correct. And Lord, I pray that, uh, again, you would just continue to do what you're doing in our church, uniting us uh, together in you, uh, you being the priority, you being the focal point. And God, I pray um, that you would help us just to continue to, to, to love the church as you did. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you turn me down just a touch? Not too much. I don't know if it's loud for you guys. It's loud for me up here. So, um, well, Here we're looking at Christ loving the church. And we see the example given for us in verse number 25. And actually, uh, up in verse number 21, uh, it talks about submitting yourselves, both husband and wife, one to another in the fear of God. And then it says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, and then in verse 23, Husbands is the head of the home, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. And as we see that Christ being the example in marriage in the home is, is very adamant. But the example that the picture that's given to us here about the home is Christ in the church. And the love that a husband should have for his wife is the same as the love that Christ had for the church. And so we see this here. And this is, is point number one today. Christ loves the church. He gave himself for it. He loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. And we see last week we talked about the truth that forms the purpose of, uh, of the church, the foundation of it, the fact that uh, Christ was, uh, came to earth and he died and he was buried and he rose again from the dead. He's a living God. That's the, 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 the truth that forms the purpose. And here we see this is back into the fact of how much Christ loved the church is that he gave himself for it. And again, I, 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 I hate to confuse terms and things like that, but if we look back in John 3.16, for God who was also Christ, Christ also God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus. And then Jesus came to earth and, and he lived life. And uh, you remember he, he taught, he did miracles, um, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. He let the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He did all these things uh, in his earthly ministry and, 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 and throughout his time. And he trained and he taught the disciples specifically uh, all these things about what to do when he was gone. And throughout his earthly ministry, he would talk at times about the fact that he was going to die. And three days later, he was going to rise from the dead. He usually did it in different kind of picturesque ways. And most people didn't have a clue what he was talking about. You remember there was a time where they were talking about the, uh, the, the tabernacle or the temple, and he said, uh, uh, you know, tear it down, and three days later, rebuild it. And they all thought, my goodness, this guy thinks he's going to tear down this building and build it back up in three days. You know how long it took us to build this building, those kinds of things. There was just the lack of understanding. But he was telling them, there's, there's coming a day soon where I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be dead. <laughs> That's what happens when you die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. There are people who say, oh, he never actually died. He was actually just unconscious. Um, no, he died. The proof from uh, the, the, the spear being spoke, uh, poked into his side, stabbed into his side, uh, scientific evidence of proof of death. And then he was buried, and for three days he laid there in the tomb, only to gloriously rise again three days later. And when he rose, we've talked about it, I know, several times, but when he rose, he became victorious over sin, over death, over hell. The grave could not contain him. Satan could not contain him. 
Defeat could not happen. When Christ died, he was not defeated. As a matter of fact, that was just the beginning of the victorious reign. And then he rose again from the dead. And we see that Christ did this ultimately to provide salvation. But he did it because he loves the church. We see that we here today, as a part of this local uh, called out assembly of believers, a local church, we're here today for a reason. Right? We talked about it last week for a purpose. Because we serve a risen Savior. Christ gave power. Christ gave, along with the commission, Christ gave power to accomplish it. A task given to churches to go into the world and to share the gospel to every creature, whether they listen or not, whether they receive or not. He says, here is the command that I give you. It's a great command. It's a, it's a tall task. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says, I'm going to go with you as you do it. Why? Because he loves the church. You see, Christ gave himself for the church, for the church to accomplish its mission, for the church to accomplish its goal, for the church to have a reason to exist. We can argue about when the church was established. I'm not going to have that argument with you today. We see it happening. We see the way that Christ worked with the disciples, a, a, a church of sorts. We see in Acts the, 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 the church there of Jerusalem and how it was built and, and, and governed and, and managed and then how it uh, blossomed and then how it uh, uh, spread, how they started new churches and how they sent out missionaries and they sent out evangelists and they sent out church planners and they, they, they began to, to start churches all across the regions. Eventually it made itself to America. And here we sit today, a result of God's love. We have to understand that us being a part of a church, us being committed to a church, uh, uh, those who have joined and become members, and there, there's more to it. It's not a club. It's not what we are. By joining a church, you're committing to God to serve Him and to follow Him in the way that He created for you to do so. And here we are now as a church, and you know, we come, and sometimes we can come, and the pastor does it too, sometimes we just come and we leave. Not much with it. We wake up on Sunday morning, we think, I know I'm supposed to go to church. I really don't want to go, but I know I'm supposed to be there. So we get up and we drag ourselves here. Most of the time, once we get here, we start to brighten up a little bit. We start to enjoy the fellowship and things like that. And by the time we leave, we go, that wasn't so bad. Well, we would be lying if we would say there are days that we wake up on Sunday mornings and we think, I really don't want to get out of bed. Or I don't want to put on real clothes. <laughs> I don't want other people to see me today. It happens. Well, you see, God has placed you and me in a church, in a place that He's created, in a place that He's building, in a place that He loves. And He's done it so that you and I together, with the, the power of God, can go and accomplish the things that God desires for us to do. 
We'll love the church more when we understand God loves the church. We will serve God more in church when we understand that God loves the church. This place is not here by accident. Some would say it was a mistake, but it wasn't. I still remember the first time I told my grandfather we were leaving Indiana and starting a church in Kentucky, and he said it's a mistake. He wasn't being mean about it. You got a salary, you got a house, you got a nice facility. Why in the world would you leave that? And I admit there were times over the last eight years where I thought, why did we leave that? This place isn't here by accident. These people, us, we're not here by accident. God desires for us to be here. He desires for us to serve together. He desires for us to work together. He desires for us to sacrifice together. He desires for us to go together and accomplish His will for the church. I've been in a number of churches in my life. I've been in big churches and I've been in small churches. And pretty much every church that I've been in that I can think of, there's always been some division, obvious division. You could tell there was issues, stress, uh, relationship problems, um, people who didn't agree with the pastor, and yet they still came and were grumpy about it. Um, I always say to those kinds of people, hey, you know, it's great. We're in America. You are free to leave. Go somewhere else. Um, we've, we've, me and Katie have seen it. Maybe you have too in churches where you have people. And uh, we, as pastors, we call it pruning. Uh, there are some people that need to leave in some churches. They're just causing problems everywhere they go. They're always gossiping. They're always grumpy. A nasty spirit about them hinders the church. I haven't seen that. I've seen it before. I don't see it today in our church. When we come with the right mindset in church, and we're going to a place, yes, it's just a building. If it burns down, we still have a church. The church is the people. I I get that. But we have a place that we come together uh, with a unified focus. Do we agree on everything? No. As a matter of fact, I still, and I've talked with pastor friends about this, I can't believe how, how many different thoughts we have within our church and how well we get along. It's incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. And, uh, but God has he's designed this place. He's ordered it. He's built it. And He is building it. And He's building it with us. Why in the world would God do that? Because He loves the church. He loves you. He loves me. And he loves the church. And if we will understand how much God just truly deserves, how much does He love the church? He gave Himself for it. If we can truly just understand and grasp how much God loves the church. Now we think about, if we go back to the picture that he's given us here, he's saying, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Do you think God desires for a husband to love his wife perfectly? In all areas, in all ways, to do things and to sacrifice in ways and and, and to, to be the perfect husband. Do you think God desires for that in a husband? Yes, he does. And then you look at it, he says, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, the perfect example. Well, how much does God love the church? As much as a husband's supposed to love a wife. 
I think we all understand the husband is supposed to love a wife no matter what. No matter their, their faults or failures, no matter their um, uh, uh, oddities, no matter whatever, he's supposed to love the church. You think about, or excuse me, their wives. Uh, you think about, uh, and I'm not saying this to joke or be mean or anything like that, but you think about how emotional a woman can be. Now understand Christ goes, the church is like, he's comparing the church to the, to the bride. Have you ever been in a church that's been emotional? Some days they're happy and some days they're grumpy. Some days they're crying and some days they're laughing. One minute they're crying, one minute they're laughing. Uh, you get the picture, right? The church can be emotional. The church can be uh, crazy. I, I don't mean that. I'm sorry. I, I honestly... <laughs> Oh, that's an extra dozen of roses. Uh, I, I really, I honestly don't mean it to be funny and joking with it, I, but you understand, right? Christ loves us, this place, no matter how weird we are. Other people can look and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why are they like that? And God says, I love you. Uh, we, make, we, 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 we make a mistake. God says, I love you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. And no matter what, I love you. To understand that Christ loves the church the way that he tells husbands to love their wives should help us understand just how much Christ loves the church. And again, when we look at our failures, our mistakes, I mean, we've done things here. I don't think we've had any big major failures or mistakes, but we've done things here and, and we get done with it. We think, boy, we could have done that a lot better. God doesn't go, well, they really messed that one up. We'll wipe them off and go on to something else. No, he loves the church. God sees more than anybody else how much you put in, how much you're committed, how much you sacrifice. There are people here that sacrifice time and finances that nobody else knows. But God knows. There are people who put in prayer, there are people who put in um, effort. There are people who desire to put in more and haven't been given the opportunity. God knows your heart. And God thanks you for being and loves you for being invested in what He builds and what He's building in the church. Christ loved the church. He gave Himself for it. Number two, Christ loves the church so much so that He set it apart. He set it apart. Look in verse number 26. The Bible says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. You see, the church is it's set apart. I just said it earlier, right? We're a set apart group of believers, local, uh, autonomous church. God loves the church so much that He set us apart. He's, he's, he desires for us to be different. And I know we've talked about this, but I want to look at several verses, and I put them on the screens today uh, because I wasn't sure who all we'd have here and didn't want you having to flip through a bunch of stuff. So first, the first passage is 2 Peter, 1 Peter excuse me, 2, 9 and 12, and we see where the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you 
out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, I see it says hat. Get over it. Uh, verse number 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims in this world, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that you may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You're, you're set apart. You're to stand out. And we see here a couple of different examples. Again, we, that, that term, peculiar people, is in this passage. Different, set apart. He says, as strangers and pilgrims in this world abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul, having your conversation, your lifestyle, your testimony honest, that as they accuse you as evildoers, that by your good works, as they see it, it will glorify your God. We're set apart. We're to be different. The next passage is in Philippians 2 and verse number 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Different. That in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, you shine. In the middle of darkness, you're a light. You're different. You're set apart. You see, as the church, we are to be different. Because we are different. God has made us different. We've, I, again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we're, we're not supposed to blend. We're not supposed to uh, match up with the world and the ways of the world. It's not how God intends it. People who say we need to be more like them, the sinners, as I said, the sinners, you understand what I mean by that. We're all sinners, I get that. But we're supposed to be more like the sinful so that they'll want to be like us. But if you're more like the sinful than you're like them, why would they want to be more like you? You're set apart. The church is the same way as, as the Christian is supposed to be different, peculiar, set apart, stand out from the world. The church is the same way. That in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, you shine as lights in the world. When people come here, they ought to see something different than they see at work. Now, if they're your co-workers, they should see the same you, by the way. You should be the same at work as you are here. But that being said, you should be the same at work as you are here. Not the same here as you are at work. Hopefully it's already the same. Being blameless, being harmless, being different. Next passage, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. We studied through 1 John a, long, a while back now. Wonderful book, written to Christians. Uh, a great book to study. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and listen, this goes back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. Every sin involves at least one of these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible tells us. We see it with, uh, um, we see it with money. We see it with um, 
uh, a name, uh, famous is the wrong word, but known, a title, whatever. People crave that. Uh, we see it with physicality, an obsession. We see it with um, relationships. We see it with all kinds of things where there's this desire to, to get what the world tells us we need. The love of the world. Things that are in the world. Uh, the, the, the living with your heart set on worldly things, worldly gain versus godly things, heavenly gain. He says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If, the, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it's interesting that it says all that is in the world, these three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, they're not of God, but they're of the world. They're, 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 they're produced by the world. And again, you can go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, you see, you see it there. Whatever sin you commit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to include one of these three things. But it's not of God. It's, it's of the world. It's my desire, my lusting for these things, the, fl- the things of the flesh, uh, the, the lust of the eyes I see and I've got to have. Um, so as people look at me, they see it as well. And then the pride of life. And we see it's not of God. Those things, are, they're going to pass away. There's other passages in the Bible that talk about uh, where things rust and moss corrupt and all those kinds of things. Uh, but the things of God, they don't. They last forever. We don't understand. We don't comprehend usually very well. And, and that's, that's on me as a pastor. But the, the treasures that we gain in heaven... And the reward that we get from God, the, 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 the great blessings that are going to come. And I believe God still blesses us in this earth, but to understand the blessings that are going to come when, when we stand before God. It's different. And so we see that, that He says here, you are set apart, you are different. You're not supposed to love the things of the world. If you feel like uh, <laughs> getting the weeds here. Um, <clears throat> I could make an argument that alcohol is included in this. It's produced by the world. You say, well, Jesus drank wine. It's a whole long conversation that we can have sometime. Well, these people who go, well, I socially drink. I don't get drunk. I just socially drink. Why? To be social. With who? It's of the world. Not everybody agrees with me, but I'm right. <laughs> you know, we look at all these things that people will do to, just to be loved by somebody, just to be liked by somebody, just to fit in with somebody. It's of the world. Why aren't we doing the things that will help us be, fit in with God? It's, it's a focus on worldly things. And God says those things are not of God. And they affect your relationship with God. And from what I read and what I know, it seems like having the right relationship with God will bring me the most joy. So why wouldn't I desire to do that? You say, well, I have the the liberty, Bible term, to do what I think is fine for me. You do. Don't abuse your liberty. Um, don't, 
don't use liberty as an excuse for sin because God doesn't give you the, uh, the freedom to sin. Yes, you can choose to sin, sure. But God gives you the freedom to follow Him, to serve Him, to, to obey Him. We are set apart as the church. We should be different. One more passage in this point. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Great picture for us here. Two different pictures. Ye are the salt of the earth. You, you understand back in the Bible times when this is being preached by Christ, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, um, they didn't have freezers, electricity, uh, those kinds of things. Salt is a preserver, right? They would use it to preserve food and things like that. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if, ye, if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, to be trodden underfoot of men. It's an interesting the picture God gives here. The salt has a purpose to preserve, but if the salt is not preserving, it's good for nothing. He's talking to Christians. Christians make up the local church. We are the salt of this area. And if we're not preserving, what are we good for? It goes on to another, another picture in verse number 14. Ye are the light of the world. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You can't ignore it. It's, it's there. Everybody can see it. It's a city up on a hill. There's lights. There's noise. There's all that kind of stuff. It can't be hid. Neither do men light a candle, more light illustration, uh, and put it under a bushel. But they put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. We understand the picture, right? If you're trying to see, you don't hide the light. You expose the light as much as you can. Most of us don't use candles and candlesticks anymore, but uh, if you do, good for you. Um, but he says we don't, they're not going to hide it under a bushel. They're going to... They're going to expose it so that it can give light into the darkness. And then he says, us, we're supposed to be like that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are to be seen. God does not put Bible Pathway Baptist Church in Richmond, Kentucky to be a, a, a little hidden gem. He put it here to be a lighthouse so that all can see. Does that mean that we're going to have a thousand people? No. What it means is we should not try to hide away in our exclusive club and just enjoy each other's company. He set us apart so that the world could see God through us. We're to be the light that shines. A light that takes a dark room and now makes it light. A light that's on a hill that everyone can see. You see, God loves the church so much that He gave Himself for it. He also loved the church, and because of that love, He set us apart to sanctify, to cleanse, to purify, so that we can now go and accomplish what God desires for the church to accomplish. 
thirdly, today we see that he gave himself for the church. He set the church apart. Thirdly, uh, you can go back to the We're done with the verse. Thank you. Uh, uh, he presents the church. I love this picture because we're talking about marriage in Ephesians 5. Uh, and here he says in verse number 27 that he might present the church, it, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. A perfect, a glorious, a loved, a forgiven, a sanctified, a restored church. When before God looks perfect. Are we perfect? No. But through God's help, He makes us perfect. He makes us pure. And God has built the church, created the church, established the church, so that it might be presented as perfect. Every wedding that I've ever performed, as I stand next to the groom and the ring bearer and the flower girl come down and the bridesmaids come down and then there's that transition. And I always lean over and I say, this is the best part. The music changes and the doors open and the bride comes through the back of the church. Presented. Perfect. I have never in my life met a married man, for that matter, a divorced man, a man who's been married. I've never met anyone who said, yeah, when the bride came through the back door, I was really disappointed. Yeah, her hair was just off. I don't know. There's something about it. <laughs> You know, brides typically will paint their face in a way that presents them differently than, than reality to some degree. That's a special day, isn't it? Very rarely do, do women put as much effort, I don't, again, this is not negative, on, on their wedding, it's, it's a presenting and we stand uh, as men at the front of the church or wherever you're getting married and when you see the, the bride come down the aisle, it's perfect. That's the only way to describe it. And there she is presented. And Christ says, the church, I love the church, gave myself for the church, set the church apart for the purpose that I can present the church to myself as perfect. As a bride that comes through the back doors. That's God's desire for us. And as this church, as we sit where we sit, and as we work towards the things that we have planned, may we understand that Christ is preparing and building this church so that he can present it to himself as perfect. A glorious church. Not having any spot, any wrinkle. That's why God doesn't want old people in the church. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It's not a time to joke. Not having any spot or wrinkle. 
or any such things, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what God desires. He's building the church. He's making the church. He's forming the church. He's, he's adding people to the church. Sometimes He takes people away from the church. He puts it all together for the purpose that He can present it before Himself as perfect. And we're a part of it. What a wonderful blessing to be a part of something God's building. Do you know that God loves the church? If you do, it should motivate you. It should encourage you. It should challenge you to make sure you're a piece uh, of that puzzle, that you're a part of it, that you're, you're more than just a, uh, a seat in the seat, but that you're working to accomplish the same thing that God desires to accomplish. A church that can be presented as glorious and perfect. And we can, you know why? Because God loves the church. When we serve in the church, we don't serve for the pastor. We don't serve for the members. We serve for God. And when we understand that God loves the church... And He gave Himself for it, that He sanctified it, sets it apart with the purpose of presenting it to Himself, a glorious, perfect church. May it help us to be the part of the church that God wants us to be. Truly dedicated and committed to doing what God desires for us to do. Because there's a day that God will present the church before Himself, and I'll tell you, it's going to be the best part. Lord, we thank you for your word and how we can learn from it. And God, I thank you for this church and what you're doing in it. I'm thankful for you sending our family here, even through the struggles. And God, I thank you for the people that you bring in and how you're building and growing and working in this place. God, I know that uh, me and Katie love these people. I would love this church, but God, nothing compared to the way that you do. God, may we use your example and may we understand uh, your deep desire and love for this church. God, we will, we will be the church that you want us to be. God, I pray that you would keep us free from division arguments and pettiness. God, that you would build us strong and united in a common purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be committed, not, not because the pastor asks us to, but Lord, because we understand you love this church. God, help us to serve with the right heart and the right mindset, never for applause and recognition, Never for making ourselves feel better. But God, that we serve because we love you. And God, I know that if we are united in that, that same cause, serving and obeying you, 
God, I know you could do amazing things to this church. God, I know that I'm a failure. I know, I know my blemishes. But Lord, in spite of us, may you just keep our hearts humble. May we seek you when we need to as far as forgiveness goes. Lord, may we follow your guidance and your wisdom. And Lord, may we be presented a glorious church. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano can go ahead and play.